Good morning, Parkwood Kings Mountain. For those watching online, we welcome you. Um, what a glorious and absolute honor it is to be able to share the word of the Lord, the authority of God's word with you this morning. Uh, today marks the 500th year of the anniversary of the Reformation. If you're not real familiar with the Reformation, the good news is you have to be back next week. Because uh, what Pastor Stephen is going to do as he unfolds Galatians is he's going to give us the importance of the Reformation and this one true gospel. Um, and so I challenge you to be back next week. Uh, so this morning, if you've never heard the name of Martin Luther, you heard it in the video. Martin Luther uh, nailed the 95 Theses to the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg on October 31st of 1517. This took place during Luther's journey away from a dark and difficult struggle. His struggle and his legal mind then would allow him to see this issue clearly. And this is what he struggled with. God is perfect in righteousness. And because God is perfect in righteousness, He requires absolute righteousness. But we are not. So justice is due. So how could God do anything other than give absolute justice? And this thought and the meditating on God's word would absolutely lead to the conversion of Martin Luther in 1519, two years after. But we can't miss this. Luther knew that the best, the best he had, his best intent, his best efforts were tainted with sin, and he would fall short of God's righteous demands. We also can't miss this. God orchestrated the events in Luther's life. That Luther was studying Greek uh, New Testament, and he was teaching Romans and Galatians and, and Psalms to the students. And as he read Romans 1, 16 and 17, this is what he discovered, that the righteousness of a Christian was not its own righteousness. It was a foreign righteousness. It was that God imputed the righteousness of Christ to the believer so that that believer will be made right with Christ, not by their own doing, but by the work of Christ alone, through faith alone. And it was in that that Luther became a believer, the meditating on God's word. So as we look at Psalms 19, 1 through 14 this morning, uh, we must look at the glory of God's word then and how are we to respond to that. So if you would, in the reading of the authority of God's word, would you please stand? We're going to be in Psalms 19, 1 through 14. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the skies above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice has not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And in them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It rises from the end of the heavens and its circuits to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of God is sure, making wise the simple. 
The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than any gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than any honey and dripping from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is the servant warned. In keeping them, there is a great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me till I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the word of the Lord or let the let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, we come this morning. And all we have to stand on is the authority of your word. Father, may in our lives you be Christ alone. Father, may in our lives we meditate, may we eat on your word. Father, may this word be the most important thing in our life. Before our cup of coffee, before even we think about rolling out of the bed, Father, may your word be the most important thing in our life that drives us. Father, it's through your word that you transform us. So, Father, I pray that that is true this morning. I pray that your transformation power happens among us. Father, that if there is one in here that's never repented and believed on the authority of God's scripture, Father, may this morning be the day. Lord, we love you. We praise your name. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to be in Psalms 19, 1 through 14. And directly from the text, we see that God is glorified in His creation. So right out of the gate, we're going to get four characteristics right from the text. So verse 1 and 2 is going to teach us that it is constant. So the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So the psalmist uses this creation language here from Genesis chapter 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And then there was light. God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and then there was morning the first day. And then God said, let there be expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And then God called the expanse heaven, and then there was evening, and then there was morning on the second day. So verse 1, the glory and wisdom of God are evident in the vastness of space. For the psalmist here, heavens and sky are not empty. They reveal God's creation of the magnificent heavenly bodies, which are characterized by radiance, the Almost this regularity, this the being a quality of being regular. The verbs declare and shows 
These are practical forms. They're expressions of a continual uh, reverence, a continual reveal of the heavens, and they could also be translated like this. Keep on declaring. Keep on showing. Let me go down to verse 2. This alternation, this repeated occurrence of two things, day and night. We see it in verse 2. Look there. Day and night reveals the consistency of God's creation. Day after day, night after night. This cycle is the knowledge of God and it has its own distinct language. Has its own distinct, or distinct speech. We see that in verse 3 and 4, it's universal. It says, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of them. He has set a tent for the sun. So then, verse 4 then introduces his source of strength for the universe through the sun. It's no surprise that the future of this expanse is the sun, which rises from its nighttime tent every morning. It naturally reveals this universal and transcends human communication because it's without speech or word. Verse 4 also shows it's without limitations of speech. It's without limitations of words and sound. This measuring line, our voice, transcends geographical barriers. And it will extend to the end of the earth. Verse 5, we see that is majestic. He metaphorically compares the sun to a bridegroom coming from the bride chamber. A strong man confidently setting out to run his race. From earthly perspective, the sun rises and makes it current with this radiance, this fulfillment, and this pleasure. We also say it's penetrating. Verse 6, it's rising, it's from the end of the heavens, and it's current to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So verse 6 without the benefit of this commentary, this common knowledge of the solar system, the psalmist acknowledges that everything in the universe hinges on the regularity, the regularity of God and the energy of the sun being regular. At the center of the solar system, the most glorious stars orbit by the earth and matter, including other planets, asteroids, comets, dust, it by itself makes up 99.8% of the solar system's mass and it drives the earth's climate and weather. Virtually all life is dependent on it. So God is glorified in His creation. God is also glorified in His Word. See, physical creation truly yields to the glory of God. It does. But if we stop there, we'll never see God's glory in high definition. So years back, they came out with this good idea that we're going to get high definition televisions in our house. It's going to change the world. So everybody went to Walmart and paid too much for TVs to hang on the wall. 
They got home, they plugged them in, and it had a really pretty picture, but to find out, they never had high definition. Why? Because they didn't get the receiver. They just thought it was clear. It was clear because you're going from the big dinosaur that was on the floor that you stomped your toe on every morning to the one that hangs on the wall, but without the receiver, you never see it in high definition. And this is true for us this morning. If we stop just at God's creation, then we never see God's glory in high definition because verse 1 and 6 are merely given to contrast 7 and 13, where we'll discover this uh, place, another place where we can find God's glory, which is in his word. So then we must this morning look at God's word. Psalms 19, 7 through 9. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making rise the simple. The precepts of the Lord is right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So yes, God's word was written. It was written to reveal God's glory. So why did he write it down? He wrote it down. Reason one was to show us his glory in Christ Jesus. So we got to look from Old Testament to Jesus. I'm going to fly through this. We got a lot of scripture to look at. So if you're a millennial in here and you have your phone Bible, I apologize. You may not be able to keep up. So I'll try to slow down for us. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness to me. Luke 24, 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all scriptures, to all things concerning to himself. And this is, he said, those are my words I speak to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Romans 10, 4. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. Now we have to look at the, the Jesus all the way through the gospel teaching. Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. We look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostle and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Then we look at the gospel teaching all the way to Paul's writing in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 and 16. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for this, be diligent to be found with him without spot and blemish and peace. And count the patience of the Lord as salvation, for as our belief, brother, or our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. 
So we see in 2 Peter what was true from 2 Peter chapter 1, that God granted these things to us and what Paul is saying in chapter 3. So since that is true, be waiting diligently, be found without blemish, without spot. The second reason God wrote it down was to give us a tangible way to respond to his glory. Psalms 56, in God, whose word I praise, in God, I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me in God, whose word I praise in the Lord, whose word I praise. Psalms 19, 48, I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love. I will meditate on your statues. My flesh trembles for fear for you. I am afraid of your judgments. Psalms 135 through 7 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word, I hope. O Israel, hope in the Lord. If you remember last week from 2 Peter chapter 3, it used that word hasting. Wait on the Lord. My soul waits. I meditate. That word's going to be rampant this morning. I meditate. We're going to look in Jeremiah in a little bit. It says that I ate your word. Third, God wrote it down so we would not miss his glory. Not miss his glory. We must look at this this morning. We must look at the nature of God's word, the value of God's word, and then the response to God's word. We're going to do that through the authority of God's word. So, the nature of God's word. We see that from Psalms 19, 7 through 9. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. So we see directly from verse 7 that it is perfect. The nature of God's word is perfect. It reflects God's integrity, his up rightness. In the NIV, it says blameless, without blemish. We also see from verse 7 that it's sure. It's trustworthy in the sense that God's statues are true in principle and they're absolutely valuable in every situation of our lives. We also see from verse 8 that it's right straightforward and just. There's no hypocrisy in it. We see in verse 8 that it's pure. It's radiant. It's bright. Verse 9 teaches that it's clean. It's pure. It's flawless. It's refined like silver. It's true in verse 9. It's sure and faithful, reflecting God's sovereignty. And if we go back to verse 7, we see this. It revives the soul. It restores the whole person by assuring forgiveness and cleaning and by giving life. God's word gives life. The authority of scripture is the main reason the reformers laid down their life. Because the authority of scripture is absolute truth. 
It's infallible. And it is through the Holy Spirit that speaks through God's word that transforms. And so if that is true, the nature of that is true, then what bleeds out of this? So we see that meditating on God's word is what transformed Luther and is what transforms us. So Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 15. From childhood, you have been adequate with this... uh, with the seared writing, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. James 1, 21, Therefore put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word. I love that. Implanted word, which is able to save our souls. So then what bleeds out of Scripture are these truths. And we're going to see them directly from the text. It makes wise the simple. From verse 7. The source of wisdom to all who are ready to receive it. Look at Psalms 19, 130 with me. It says the unfolding of your words gives life. It imparts understanding to the simple. We see in verse 8, it rejoices the heart. Scripture gives heartfelt joy, that inner peace. That joy. To listen to Jeremiah 15, 6. As I have studied all week long. I understand the the meaning of meditating on God's Word, but this actually brought it to the surface under a different view. It says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O God of hosts. It rejoices the heart. We see in verse 8 that it enlightens the eyes. It makes bright, gives light to the eyes to see and to receive God's blessing. Psalms 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Luke 24, 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While He opened to us the Scriptures, we see that God's Word endures forever. Verse 9. It doesn't change with the times. It doesn't variate with the fashions. It's not in today and out tomorrow. It always is and always will be. It's relevant to your life. Matthew 24, 35. The heavens and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. God's word is forever. We also see that it makes righteous altogether from verse 9. This is actually a verbal 
form, meaning to make righteous. Psalm 17, 4 and 5. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your path. My feet have not slipped. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I wake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. I have to pause this morning as we think about this word meditating. And from Jeremiah 15, 16, eating God's word. This morning when you woke up, was God's word more important to you than your cup of coffee? Did you have to have God's word before you had anything else? Got to look at the value of God's word this morning. The value of God's word. Psalms 19, 10 and 11. More to be desired than any gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and dripping from honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So you got gold, much fine gold, more valuable than money, more valuable than any covenant possession. Psalms 119.72 says the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Is that true about our lives? Psalms 119.127 says, Therefore I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. The Bible goes on and says, honey and the honeycomb, it's more appealing, more appeasing than the finest honey. 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3, it says, like an infant, long for pure milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. It says, it's warned. Great reward. Warn, great reward. See, there's, there's a warning that tells us what not to do, and then there's rewards that tell us what to do. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11. Let's look at this. It's going to help us uh, a little bit clearer. For as the rain and snow come down from the heavens and do not return there, but water the earth, makes it forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So my word that goes out of your mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. See, it's a reward. The, the reward of God's word, then it tells us that we need to respond. Psalms 19, 12 through 13. It says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. I'm going to see four characteristics here. Four characteristics. We see desperation. Who makes discern his errors? Jeremiah 9, or 17, 9, excuse me, Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Matthew 5, 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
We also see it recognition. God's word is the only thing that can do this. We got to see it from Psalms 119 to 9 through 11. It says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Ephesians 6, 17 says, And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Hebrews 4, 12, For the the word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing and division the soul of the Spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts of the heart. Then we see here appreciation. Let them not have dominion over me. Psalms 103.3 I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. Mm. Psalms 119.133 Keep my steps according to your promise. Let them have dominion over me. Romans 6, let no sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. For sin will have no dominion over you since you have not under the law but of under grace. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves in sin have become obedient for the heart to sustain the teaching of which you committed. Psalms 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Finally, God is glorified in His living Word, which is Jesus. I want to contrast between the physical creation, God's Word, and then God's living Word. Then I want to focus on our response this morning. So we see physical creation here from Psalms 19, 1 and 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims the, His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. The measuring line goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and the circuit of the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from His heat. So we see this morning that physical creation then reflects the character of the Creator. The physical creation reflects the character of its Creator. So physical creation does speak. Every language hears. Every place is affected. But there's no response. It is only God's Word that transforms the lives of those subject to that Word. Say it again. 
It is only God's word that transforms the lives of those subject to that word. Then we got to look at God's word from Psalms 19, 14. Let the words of my mouth, here's that word again, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to your sight. So this is what God's word does. God's word transforms. The Holy Spirit transforms. God's word speaks. We hear. Then we are affected. And then we respond with God honoring heart and God glorifying speech. This is our life. See, the covenant Lord reveals his word in speech and in written form. Why? In order that we may have access to it. And we got to look at God's living word, Christ. So we see from the physical creation aspect from Psalms 19, 1 through 6, that the heavens declare the glory of God. That's this God's universal name as creator. And then from Psalms 19, 7 through 14, the law of the Lord. We see this Yahweh, God's covenant name, his relationship with us. Acts 2, 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. See, this morning... Jesus is the lion and the lamb. In Acts 10.36 it says, As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord over all. So then we got to see these truths directly from God's authoritative word. God then is the only way you can head for eternity. God is the only way for you to head to eternity. We see that in Romans 10, 9. If you'll turn there with me. Romans 10, 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So God is the only way you have access to eternity. God is also where all eternity is headed. God is where all eternity is headed. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. It says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is where all eternity is headed. God is also head over all eternity. God is head over all eternity. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13 and 15. It says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the, pre- until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. So then we wait with patience 
But in the middle of waiting for patience, we live a life that makes much of Christ. See, God never intended for this natural word, this creation, or the written word, the Bible, to be the primary way of displaying His wonderful works. He intended the primary way to be the living word of God, Jesus. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died a gruesome death to make much of God. So then we must understand our response this morning. If that is true about God's creation and true about God's word, then we have no other option to say that God has to be our rock and then God has to be our redeemer. Psalms 19, 14, oh Lord, my rock, my redeemer. He must be your rock. Look at Matthew 16, 18 with me. It says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It goes on to say that he gives us the keys to the kingdom. That's the infallible word of God. He's your rock. Look at 1 Corinthians 10.4. It says, I drank the same spiritual drink, for they drink from the spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Jesus. It was Christ. He must be your rock of this morning, and He must be your Redeemer. Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Titus 2.14. He's got to be our Redeemer. It says, Our great God and Savior Jesus Christ gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession. John 1.1, 1, 1, many of you have that memorized. Here's the great thing about teaching in the kids' ministry. You teach them how to memorize Scripture, you end up memorizing it yourself. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and He has sent His glory, His glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Martin Luther understood as he meditated on God's word, the missing part of what he was seeking for. And after meditating on God's word, this is, the, uh, this is the sum of what he came up to. The reason sinful humans can love God is this one truth. The doctrine of justification by faith alone. And his rediscovery it led to a wildfire, a revival across Europe that we call the Reformation. It changed the world forever. And here's the truth. If you're listening this morning, you are living a wildfire. You're going to leave a wildfire behind you. You're either living and leaving a wildfire that glorifies God or glorifies yourself. You're even pointing people to Christ or you're damning them to hell. Pastor Stephen used this illustration last week of those in floaties and the false teachers would love to get them out into the deep waters and just let them go and sink. The reality is most of us in our lives 
just listen to God's word. We never meditate on God's word. We never sit in Jeremiah 15, 16. We never eat on God's word. It's not the most important thing in our life. It is not what drives us. It is not what motivates us. It is not what causes us to persevere. We want to do things on our own. We have it all together. And we're going to be those in those floaties out in that water sinking. God's word is intended to be the authority of your whole entire life. The authority of God's word is what the church sits on, is what your life sits on. And if the authority of God's scripture doesn't bleed out through your life, and you have to ask this question this morning, am I even in Christ? May we stand with Luther on these five truths. That scripture alone, the Bible alone is our highest authority. Before I grab that cup of coffee, before I stop at Hardee's, I just was transparent with you. Before I go to Hardee's and get my uh, number one with a big sweet tea, am I meditating on God's word? Is that the most important thing in my life? Then faith alone. We are saved through faith alone in Christ Jesus. And then grace alone. We are saved by grace of God alone. Christ alone, Jesus Christ alone is our Lord, Savior, and our King. To the glory of God alone will we live for the glory of God alone. So what this morning? So what? Are you living in such a way that puts the glory of God, the gospel on display Turn with me to Romans 10. Romans 10, 9 through 15. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord over all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. And here's the truth about us. That if that is true, that if we have a called on the name of the Lord, we must do number 14 all the way through 15. How then call on him who they have not believed? The teaching of God's word, this is us. And how will they believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, listen to this, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Believer in here this morning, are you living such a way that puts the glory of the gospel on display? May that be true about our lives. Father, we come this morning thinking that we have it all together. And God, reality is, for the most part, most of us have never picked up your word until this morning. So Father, we thank you for the reformers that actually died to give us your word. 
Father, we thank you for your son that came and died and rose again. Father, I ask this morning that your transformation power happen in the lives of those sitting in this room. That if there's somebody here this morning that has never called on the name of the Lord, may they repent and believe this morning. Father, if there's a believer under your word this morning that is not living a life that makes much of you, Father, may you break them. Father, you make the word the most important thing in our lives. Father, will you give us that desire this morning? Will you give us the passion to open up your word, to cry over your people, the lost people in King's Mountain? God, will we feel a heavy burden this morning to live a life that makes much of you? Father, may this be true about my life. Father, as we continue in song, as we continue in worship, I ask that your transformation power pierce the lives. Father, that may we be people that meditate and eat on your word and live a life that makes much of the gospel. In this, we thank you. You may stand.